Hello. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Everyone, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. I'm here today with Livia Giles, who is a first degree black belt and a very inspirational woman. Liv, can you introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. So thanks for having me on. Um, I'm Liv. I have been doing jiu-jitsu for probably about 11 years now. And before that, I used to do uh, elite gymnastics for about 12 years, I think. And then I did sprint, sprint cycling for many years as well. Um, and then my life sort of changed when I started jiu-jitsu, but I've always had other interests as well. So even though jiu-jitsu has become my life uh, in terms of, you know, I'm still uh, competing at a high level, well, not in the last pandemic year, but <laughs> I'm still trying to compete at the sort of uh, world level and I, uh, I, because of jiu-jitsu, I've been, uh, I sit on the board for uh, professional boxing and combat sports, and I'm also a physiotherapist. So lots of perspectives. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> From what you've seen as a physio and a coach working with athletes and then your own experience, why do you think it is that so many people seem to be saying BJJ saved me? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's quite personal for everyone. So everyone will have a completely different reason. Um, A lot of people find the community the best thing about the sport. And I think uh, you tend to get accepted no matter, you know, on the mat, everyone's kind of equal. Uh, Everyone rolls with everyone. And and I think you have to just be a good person to an extent. I think the, the sort of the creepos or people that are not good for the club or the culture get filtered out relatively quickly. And I think being around that for a lot of people um, and finding their place in in the world and or in the small community or in the suburb or wherever they live, I think is really important. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you, you're actually learning a skill, you're learning self-defense, you're learning how to fight. <laughs> um, and for me, a lot of the time it's like meditation. So at training, I don't think about anything else. I think about training and as a result, my mental health is a lot better as well. So you gain, um, not only you get to relax and anxiety goes away, but also um, self-confidence, you get to, you know, like really test yourself and you get to learn in a really productive environment. Yeah, I love it. How, what is your story then? So how did you go from gymnastics to (laughs) sprint cycling to BJJ? Yeah, I don't even know. So <laughs> I was a gymnast. Um, I started in Poland in like Eastern Europe in the late 80s and mm-hmm. and I was doing that at an elite level for probably about 12 years and later on I, I came to Australia and um, I retired when I was around 18, I think, um, where I knew I wasn't done with a high-level sport but I was done with gymnastics. And I think my physiotherapist at the time recommended that I do weightlifting, hammer throwing or trek cycling. And I was like, oh, well, I guess trek cycling sounds the best. I don't want to be a hammer. I don't know why hammer throwing because I'm actually not that big. Um, But, yeah, I went to, like, I literally went to the velodrome and I was like, I'm going to do this now. Uh, I haven't ridden a bike for many years and I just started training. I just really wanted to 
be really good at something. You know, I think my mindset has changed a little bit. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to go to the Olympics. Um, so I gave it a good go for about six years or so. And then um, I was probably in my early 20s where I realized where that elite level sport doesn't pay rent or unless you're obviously the best in the world, which I wasn't, it's very hard to make a good living out of it. And I got sick of living on the poverty line and being a bum athlete. So I decided to get a degree, go to university. So I started a science degree, then did physiotherapy. Um, and I sort of swore off elite sport forever because I get really obsessive and it takes over my life. And then uh, I met my, my my now husband at the time. Um, we're both doing physiotherapy for a football club and he was training jiu-jitsu and he just loved it. So I thought I would go and try it at just, just for fun and never compete again, you know, and just learn something new. Um, yeah, three months later I competed um, and I pretty much never looked back and, and it's completely changed like the um, trajectory of my life, I guess, which is really cool. <laughs> what did you love about it? What made you hooked? Um, I think the constant learning. So it, it's not like you literally, uh, you know, I, I've been a black belt for three years now and I think I've the most in the last three years or even in the last year like there's you can never in jiu-jitsu know everything you're learning something new every day and the more you know the more you don't know and so it's a very cerebral sport I never get bored with it I'm always working on something every training session um the the other part is the community so it's like my social time every single day at the gym uh, I get to see my friends you know they see me at my worst they see me at my best and um, it's just really fun. Like I, I just love it. You know, I, sometimes I go, I get to do this for a living. I roll around with sweaty people on the mat for a living and that's just awesome. And then you get the endorphins side effect from that, you know, you get on a high after every training session. Um, I've been lucky enough to get to travel the world competing, but also teaching seminars in the most wonderful places all around the world. And, um, even though it's hard work, you sort of have to pinch yourself and go, you know, like, how did we get here? But, um, yeah, so I pretty much like everything about it. <laughs> what about, because so for people listening, you're quite small, like five foot one, two, something two. like that. Yeah, um, yeah, five foot two. Very little and a, a lot of the training partners are men. So when you first started out, what was it like just constantly having really heavy big guys on top of you? Yeah, it, that- it's a really hard part of the sport. So um, I guess they call it the gentle art and they say it's designed for the small person. But, of course, you know, yes, I can beat a 90-kilo untrained man on the street. I can probably beat them as long as they don't put a gun or a knife on me. Um, but it's, of course, very different at the gym where someone is the same skill level, every five kilos matters, especially at my weight. So it is really hard. Uh, when I first started, there was pretty much no women. There was only a few women in Victoria training that were sort of higher level um, and yeah, my only training partners were men, but, um, I think you, you just have to teach people how to train with you and how to train with someone smaller. You know, I had to compete against guys a lot. It's hardly ever, I only had women to compete against at the big tournaments, like the pan packs. Um, but all the local tournaments I had to fight against guys. Um, so that was, and that was just normal for me, but I think, some of the men are my favorite training partners still to this day. Um, but you just, you do have to teach someone how to train with lighter people or with women or if someone who's a lot weaker than you. Um, it's one thing, you know, trying to 
lie down and let someone do whatever they want. It's not actually very productive. If sometimes guys are trying to be nice and they just lie down and let me be all over them, but I'm not learning. They're not learning. Um, and then conversely, because they see a black belt and they think, oh, like she's won world champion. She's, she's a black belt. I must go really hard. And I get hurt because they think that they have to fight me. Whereas training is not about fighting for me ever. I'm actually just trying to practice technique and I compete against women my own size in competition. So a lot of it, when I was a less mature belt, um, I used to get really annoyed at the guys uh, and I used to get a bit angry and a bit mean. And now I just tell them, you know, I stop and I go like, if they're going too lighter, I'll say, I really appreciate you going lighter, but you can actually go a little bit harder. So the biggest thing for me is if you're going to go either a lot of pressure or fast, but not both. So the biggest thing is you give me time to tap um, and so on. And I think just with really good communication and coaching someone and then not being afraid to tell someone to stop, you feel unsafe or just don't roll with them. That, that, that's been the biggest thing like I go and teach seminars all over the world and everyone wants to roll and um probably 40% of the times I'll say no because they're just too big and I don't trust them and I don't care like I don't care if someone's offended um and then so so coaching people how to do it but then um also developing a really good culture where women come to train and they stay. So I hardly ever have to roll with bigger guys anymore. In fact, I really don't. I, like I said, the lighter guys under 65 kilos are wonderful training partners to me, but every night I'll have 10 girls at least 10 to 20 girls that are between blue and black belt at the mat. Um, and I attribute that part partly because of the club color that we've been uh, able to develop and you know the girls actually stay and they they want to train and we're a very respected female team we have female coaches we have females in leading positions we have um, you know female staff everywhere and it's become part of the culture so it's not like oh girls jiu-jitsu in the corner we're actually just a really strong part of the team um, so I think that's been really really big for me where for me, that's longevity where I can roll someone closer to my own size. My ribs don't hurt and my hands don't hurt and I'm not exhausted at the end of the day because I don't have to, you know, push against 80 kilos or something like that. So uh, for me, I think something I'm really proud of is helping to develop that culture where women feel welcome and they actually stay for years to come, not just for six months. That's a very long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, I like. No, I like it. it. Was very thorough, and it was. It kind of brings me to my next question, which is: so, for women who are listening who aren't in Melbourne or they can't get to Absolute MMA, they can't get to a gym where there are a lot of women. How can you talk them through having those conversations with men when they're first starting, so they can progress long enough in the sport to be able to leverage the whole, you know, favoring the weaker yeah. opponent part of jujitsu. Yeah, look, it is hard. Like jiu-jitsu is very hard at the start and you have to give people a little bit of time to, to adjust and show them uh, what it's like to roll. But I think the biggest thing, if you don't have a club, go to open mats, cross-train. I mean, uh, if, if there isn't politics at the club, I think it's really important to cross-train with people your own size or your competitors. Um, I think you learn the most that way. So make an effort to invite people to your club or go somewhere else. Obviously, check with your coach that that's fine. But I think... Um, you know, I've always had the freedom to go wherever I wanted to, and that's how I've improved. Um, if that's still not accessible, uh, you can go to like girls camps, you can go to competitions, you can go to, you can fly to Melbourne for a week and come and train <laughs> with us. Uh, I think 
no matter how much you coach men to train with you, it's still not the same because it is never realistic. You know, it, even if the guys are, unless they're a real beginner, they'll go probably go 100%. Um, you can't be deluded that a very good purple belt rolling with me that I'm actually winning the role. They're letting me do technique, you know. They're not actually fighting me. So um, what I say to beginners, like real beginners, if they get frustrated that a girl beat them or someone small beat them is... Um, you know, isn't it amazing that you've chosen to do a sport that actually works? Because if it didn't, there's no way I could beat you, whatever that means in the, you know, I could get a dominant position. Um, and I think it changes the outlook a little bit and they go, oh, right. And I'm like, look, in six months, I won't beat you because you have 30 kilos on me and you're a guy. So if you learn technique, like it actually works because I'm taking you back and I'm choking you, you know. Um, and I think it calms a lot of people down. And then further down the track, like literally just drill and specific train with the guys and break it down into smaller positions and just be really open with communication. Like you don't need to break my grip with 100% because my fingers are going to break. I'll just let go, you know, like let me get two reactions and then counter me instead of just holding like, I don't know, my wrist or something till I can't move because then it's all about both people learning, not just one person learning in the role. So, um, yeah, I think... People at the start need to have a different perspective. I think definitely communicating with your training partners and having those conversations. If you can't, it is a lot easier to have that conversation as a black belt. If you feel a bit out of your depth, tell your coach and the coach can have that conversation. Um, definitely trying to cross-train. And I also do think that it's not always necessary, but st starting a female-only class can help to recruit more women into the club. Um, I think... At Absolute at St Kilda, we've nearly outgrown that now. Uh, we had a women's class going on for about five or six years and uh, it really brought us all together. But now we have, you know, 10 to 15, 10 to 20 even more women on the mat every night. And I think we're just like part of the team. There's kind of no need to do a women's team anymore. Sorry, a separate women's class anymore because there's so many of us. Uh, but I do think it's really helpful to attract more girls to train together. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing like at the CBD. I think the women's class is almost just nice to remind the women that they have a community of women around them that they can talk to about things like, you know, this guy's going too hard, I'm having this trouble with this person or just like what do you do in this situation because you're also smaller than all of the guys that we're rolling with. So yeah. there's a lot of positives there. What about with competing? Absolutely. What advice would you give mm -hmm. for women to manage nerves and anxiety when they're going to compete, like even at a local competition? Um, I think nerves and anxiety is a good thing. I, I would worry if I didn't have any nerves at all. It means I don't care and I'm not ready or I don't want it badly enough. Obviously, there's like, you know, uh, the bell curve of distribution of how much nerves you want. Um, but I get nervous just as much now uh, as I did when I was a white belt. And whether it's a local comp or ADCC World's Finals, it's uh, it's the same level of nerves a lot of the times for me. Um, so I've got strategies to work with it. I, I like, I know that... Uh, whether I'm nervous or not, or uh, I'm pooping my pants or not on the day, I'm going to go out and fight and it doesn't kind of change it. So some days I'll wake up and I feel amazing. Um, uh, actually, it's a good good sort of stories when I won Blue Belt Worlds. I just had a really good day. I woke up ready. I wasn't injured. Everything went right, right for me on the day and um, and I happened to win. And 
I used to see a sports psych many years ago um, and I said, I just want to recreate that mindset because I know if I get into that zone, I can win. And he kind of laughed at me because he was like, you know, do you think that Federer feels the same way every time he plays tennis? Like uh, out of the 300 games, how many times do you think he would feel perfect? Maybe once or twice, but you just have to like get up and go, oh, today I feel really bad and I didn't get any sleep. And you just go, okay, that's just the way I feel. I'm going to go and fight. So I've stopped judging the way I feel and just kind of just doing it. You know, I used to do breathing exercises, definitely writing out goals or things you did well after a fight. So the focus isn't on the outcome. It's on like little goals you have to do, whether it's a move or shaking the hand first or whatever it might be. Um, but I think you just expect that uh, anxiety is part of the sport. And and I think for me, uh, know that when I'm not nervous at all, I just don't care enough and I usually don't perform very well. Um, and that everyone else is nervous, you know. The more you do it, the easier it gets. I can guarantee that. Like if you only compete once a year, it's a big deal. If you compete every month or, or more, it becomes like it's just another thing, you know. Like you lose one, you win one. No one cares. No one's going to judge you. Your coach or your teammates don't actually care. You're the only person that cares. <laughs> so, I think like the more you compete and the more you lose, the the better you get at that. Have you had any specific experiences with anxiety? Yeah, I, I think definitely uh, for me, I get really um, anxious before comps and I get quite claustrophobic. Um, so when I first started, I used to always get claustrophobic like in a lift or car, but it was never really bad. And it wasn't until I started probably – maybe blue belt the way I used to tap from like under mount or like if someone covered my ears or like some something little would trigger me I remember having a panic attack in a local competition actually where I don't know I think I was meant to pull guard for the first time instead of trying a takedown and I just I had I started feeling really claustrophobic not realizing that it's actually a panic attack because I was so nervous about pulling guard um so that took a lot of um, really good training partners to recognize that I'm having anxiety and just letting go and not making it a big deal. So if I would tap, I would feel terrible about it because I'm interrupting a role, you know, tapping from a not submission just because I'm feeling claustrophobic. To me, it was like, I'm really sorry. I'm a terrible training partner. And they just never made it into a big deal. They were like, okay, start again. Don't worry. Like it was just, just like that. And I think that really helped me. Um, definitely breathing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, part of panic and anxiety is actually not breathing enough and having increased heart rate, less blood flow to the brain and therefore less oxygen. And when you have less oxygen going to the brain, you have limited time to make good decisions when you make, good sorry, when you don't have time to make good decisions or good judgments about the situation you're in, you start panicking more. And it's like a cycle that continues. So, for me, knowing the physiology of, of panic and anxiety and knowing what it does, that it's like a, an actual, you know, physiology, anatomy, and that uh, it's not necessarily just me being crazy in my head uh, really helped. So just learning how to breathe or have like little cues that, you know, I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to move or I'm going to think about something else for something nice for a second when I'm lying under mount and then switch back on and try to do jujitsu. And worst comes to worst, you just tap. <laughs> you just tap and start again, you know. Like we, if you're not tapping at training, you're doing something wrong. Um, so, so they were probably my bigger ones and obviously um, competition nerves, like being in a different country by myself where, you know, you're, you're on a stage somewhere. But um, I also find that really exciting. So that that's less of an issue. It's more... Um, 
the anxiety of, I don't know, like ADCC for me, ADCC finals was a big one. That was probably the most nervous I've been and I don't really know why. Um, it was just such a big build-up and and I've invested so much of my own life into it um, and it didn't go my way at all. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and being claustrophobic. And I've got, definitely gotten a lot better at that over the years. So I don't really have those episodes anymore. And if I do, I I don't know, I, I tap and nothing happens from that. So do you tap and then go away and reset and then come back or...? I haven't needed to do that. I've just literally like I get out of the position and I'm fine again. So mm-hmm. whatever was triggering me, I, I kind of go, okay, well, I'm out now. Like I know I can stop it at any minute because I trust my training partners. Uh, but, of, of course, like if some girls or guys have it a lot worse than I do uh, and they might need to just go to the bathroom, get a drink for five minutes and come back and start again. Um, everyone's a little bit different and I think you have to know your limits. I would definitely recommend working with a professional. Don't try to deal with it on your own. I would definitely say see a psychologist or a sports psychologist um, instead of maybe taking everyone's advice that's not professional or or evidence-based or so on. So, um, yeah, for me, working with my sports psych really helped with that. In the lead-up to the competitions, in addition to having the anxiety, thinking that, like, you're going to do this big scary thing and you've invested so much in it, you're also going through a weight cut. Mm. what's that like it's it's crap (laughs) uh look I I either I mean I've been weight cutting historically uh for comps my last comp was actually gaining a lot of weight so that was a whole other level of of overeating and anxiety but um in a way cutting weight for me actually takes away from the anxiety because you have something to really focus on Mm -hmm. uh, because you have to be extremely focused to cut weight so in a way I stress less about the competition because I'm so focused on cutting weight um it, yeah, so I think it actually relaxes me a bit in that way, but it is extremely hard on the body. Of course, it depends how much cut weight you cut. If I'm cutting two kilos, I'll do that in a, you know, in a week, and I just want to eat chocolate or ice cream, so that's easy. But um, I've dropped to as low as 46 kilos, and I'm about 57 now, um, and that was that was really really hard. That was a very hard time of my life that I won't do again. Uh, but again, I don't think I had any energy to be anxious. I was just trying to concentrate on like staying upright and, and alive. <laughs> yeah. so, do you have to do same day weigh-ins? Yeah, we weigh in about 10 minutes before we fight. So it's very different to MMA, um, mm-hmm. but we don't cut water. I think the most water I've ever cut was like 300 grams. Um, and that's because uh, it gets really dangerous. So uh, if you dehydrate more than 3% of your body weight, your brain starts functioning a little bit differently and um, you've got reduced blood volume, which is very dangerous for your heart as well. So to me, uh, having those secondary complications to your health or having a heart attack because you're cutting weight is never, ever, ever, ever worth a medal. Um, so I get very lean and I start doing that about six to eight weeks before the competition if I've got a big weight cut. So you're training couple times a day in a calorie deficit for eight weeks or so. Yeah, something like that. That's for a big weight cut. That's not, That's not. you know, um, yeah, it's hard. And then I'm trying to, well, I was working as a physio and coaching and it's um, it's very hard to stay nice to people. <laughs> and that's, that's you know, I, I now I know and I know myself a lot better. So I give people plenty of warning and, and I go, look, I have no extra energy to give you or any extra love. So I'm just going to be blunt and honest and, um, don't take it the wrong way, I guess. But I, I have learned how to 
recognize that about myself. So I do avoid some social situations a lot when I'm cutting weight because I know I, I can just snap like that or someone will eat something in front of me or comment about my weight or something. Like it's something so stupid that is never meant with malice, but I'll take it that way when I'm hungry uh, and then I regret it. So a lot of the times I'll just avoid situations where I might be an asshole to people. <laughs> How do you go after the the weight cut is over and then you start to gain weight back? Like I know for for me personally, like I even though I know I'm so unhealthy at fight weight and that it's not sustainable, my brain just like can't help but do a comparison and be like, oh well, I'm fat now. Do you have similar experiences? Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a funny one, you know. Like it depends what weight I am. If I'm 53 kilos, I think I look great and I've got a six pack and or eight pack or something and I am like ah, look at me you know but if I go lower than that I actually just start looking like an anorexic teenage boy and it's not I don't feel attractive I don't feel good I don't feel strong I don't feel good about my body people think I'm anorexic you know um, and I have to explain constantly when I go out and order something like why I'm doing this um, so I don't enjoy that and I don't enjoy how I look but yeah, after big weight cut, the rebound is quite high for me because you can't, even my dietitian sort of said, I would write you a refeeding plan, but you're probably not going to follow it because you just get so like, you just need to eat. When I drop that low mm. um, and you just can't stop eating for a little while and it's actually terrifying. <laughs> uh, it's it's very unhealthy, but you just can't stop. It's like, you know, if, if I know that there's some chocolate left in the pantry and I can't go to sleep. I have to eat it. I have to finish it because it might like your brain's like, but it might not be there tomorrow. <laughs> um, and it's actually, yeah, it's scary watching yourself do that. And then you obviously gain weight. And so, yeah, even though I'll still have like, you know, abs, I think I'm fat. And it's very important to keep my brain in check every day uh, because it is, you know, or, or be careful what you say to people. So I try not to ever say I'm fat. I try to say I feel really bloated or I feel really fat, even though I know I'm not because some people also get offended at that for some reason, uh, even though it's nothing to do with them. Um, but, yeah, look, like, I mean, even the pandemic, uh, obviously I wasn't trying to cut or gain any weight, but um, just not training for hours a day, my body shape changed and I don't have abs for the first time in like six, seven years or something. So that, that's weird for me, you know. I actually train better because I'm a little bit heavier and I'm harder to move and I have more training partners as a result and I'm less injured. But it is still like, you know, I'm like I have a love handle. I've never had that. And um, and that's okay. It's just what my body is at the moment. But, yeah, you, you do have to kind of keep your brain uh, from thinking you're obese or overweight the whole time you're not how do you do that do you replace it with like the positive version when you hear yourself starting to like talk to yourself in your head negatively or I don't think I do I honestly think as soon as I'm back to training like if I'm not training and I'm just feeling gross and I don't do anything I want to eat more crap so I think as soon as I'm back at training and I'm sweating and I feel strong and my jujitsu is feeling good um I, I just don't place as much emphasis on my body. Um, I just kind of go, this is so cool that my body can do this. It's not how it looks. So even if I feel a bit gross in a rashy and, and spats and everything is a little bit tight, in the end, like when you're rolling, no one's looking at your rolls or your fat or your skinniness or your abs. or it, Like it doesn't matter, you know. So I think just training um, 
just helps because I feel good about myself because I'm able to do really cool things with my body and I feel strong and I feel amazing and I've got endorphins and, you know, whether it's false sense of reality because even endorphins, I'll take it. So I think I don't focus too much. And and as a result, I want to eat healthier, you know. So like even now I'm like, oh, I want to eat berries, not ice cream because I'm training hard and I need the nutrition. Um, so, yeah, it's not so much self-talk, but when I put on pants and they hardly fit, I just go, all right, like <laughs> just put on a different pair of pants, you know, like or uh, just go, well, I've got a butt now and that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's much harder when I'm not training. It's, yeah, it, it's difficult to feel good about yourself. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you give to women at large? So who might be listening to this, whether it's about BJJ or not, but if you could just feel like, girls, this is something I think you all need to know, what would you say? Um, I think just train, like do something with your body and appreciate for what it is. Everyone has a different shape. Everyone's got a different body and it's able to do different things. You know, I've got friends who, even when they cut to like 45 kilos, they don't have abs and they lift weights and they're strong, but they're just that body shape. Whereas I'm quite muscular and I build strength and muscle really easy. So when I drop three kilos, I have a six pack and it's not better or worse. It's just the way my body is. And some, I know some men hate that look. I don't really care. It's just what my body is. So whether you're big or small, it kind of doesn't matter. Just do jujitsu. You know, a lot of people before joining, not just jujitsu, any sort of gym, um, they go, oh, like I'll join next month. I just have to get fit and lose a bit of weight first. Like that's insane. That's how you get fit and you lose weight by doing the thing you want to do, you know, like who who says that you can't do an activity because you're too fat or you're too skinny or you're too unfit or you're whatever your excuse is, just like nobody cares because everyone is so concerned about themselves that I like not once have I looked at my teammates and go, oh, like she's got big hips. Like, <laughs> like it, it's just insane, you know, like you would never talk to another person like that, but we all talk to ourselves like that. So mm-hmm. concentrate on just like learning the skill and having fun training. And I can guarantee you no one's, no one's thought twice about like your thighs or your arms or whatever <laughs> silly thing you have going in your head. So just start the activity you wanted to do and don't even worry about it. Love it. What have you got coming up next? I know everything's kind of been put on the back burner for 2020. Are you you planning towards any seminars or any ways that people can come and learn with you? Well, I'm teaching uh, seminars with Lockie, with my husband. Um, So we're going between Christmas and New Year's. We're going to go up uh, the East Coast. So we're going to start in Sydney and then move our way up to like Coffs Harbour, Newcastle, Gold Coast, maybe Byron Bay, Sunshine Coast, Brizzy, and mm-hmm. then fly home. So you can catch us uh, both there. I think I've got a couple of seminars lined up uh, next week. Oh, sorry, next week, next year. Um, but, yeah, it's all been really hard because it's difficult to plan things. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, next month where the borders will close again. Mm-hmm. I did have a fight uh, lined, up, lined up in Brazil in February, but I really doubt that that's going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. even if everything is paid for. I still have to do two weeks of quarantine and that's two weeks of work and sitting in a hotel um, out of my own pocket. So I'm not too keen on that. Um, Besides that, I would like to do ADCC trials again um, or, you know, have a much better performance anyway at ADCC finals. Um, And I would still like to do Gi Worlds and and win a medal at Gi Worlds. But um, I honestly don't know <laughs> it's, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen I mean America's not looking great at the moment so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm kind of enjoying just just training for the sake of training and not comp prepping. Yeah. Do you find that you're working on more like things that wouldn't normally be a part of your game because there's not so much pressure on just perfecting like your strategy? You're trying random other things? Yeah, I reckon I've improved the most this year having a really long time because I've uh, tried to learn a completely new set of um, skills to add to my game. And it's something I probably ignored for the last, I don't know, 10 years, um, mainly because I'm always comp prepping. So when you're always, you've got a comp every six months or so, and especially a big one, like I don't do too many smaller comps anymore, but it's like Worlds and ADCC and and, and other Worlds, um, it's very hard to start learning something new a month before a competition. Um, whereas I've had, you know, eight months of that now. And I feel like it's been so much fun because I've had the time to learn without no pressure, without any pressure. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's amazing. And I, I think I've really improved, but it is hard to judge without world-class black belts to, to train with that are my size. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> If people want to find out more about those seminars you got coming up or follow you guys, where's the best way to find you? Question. Um, probably on Instagram and Facebook at this stage. Um, so Instagram, um, I think I'm Livia underscore Giles or Lachlan um, dot or underscore Giles as well. Um, so we usually announce um, our seminars mainly on Instagram. It's probably mm-hmm. the easiest. Uh, and then just repost if someone else has something planned, we'll repost that as well. But apart from that, we are teaching uh, out of Absolute St Kilda uh, every day. So you can come and visit us as well. And this just been renovated? I haven't seen it. Yeah, you have to come down. Yes, so we spend, I mean, that's one one good thing that the lockdown has been good for. It's given us time to finish renovations. Um, it, it, we still need to do a few bits and pieces and put like photos up, And but it's nice and clean and, you know, got new change rooms and showers and it looks really beautiful um so now i feel like the facilities reflect the level of of training which is really cool it's awesome yeah i think ladies like now is a perfect time to get into training jits i know it's that time of year where everyone thinks i'll start in the new year but who knows with covid how long things will be happening for just do it exactly You won't know if you like it or hate it until you try it, you know. So I think definitely now is the time to just jump in and do it, whether it's jiu-jitsu, MMA, or Muay Thai, whatever you enjoy doing, just try it and then go from there. Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else that you want to say to everyone at Olive? Um, no, I think, I mean, like just, just on the theme of um, like mental health, I think it, it's it can be such a, such a positive thing in people's lives and it can change your life for uh, hopefully for the better <laughs> but you know you can take it as far as a little like you, you can be a, a competitor I didn't start jiu-jitsu till I was 25 and I didn't I'm 36 now and I keep up at the highest level still and I don't feel like I'm slowing down at all uh, a lot of people say they're too old or they're too fat or they're too small or they've got kids or of course it's a lot harder when you have kids but you can just train and you can make you don't have to train four hours a day I am training a little bit less now and I'm actually improving more um, and if you want to just do it for recreation and train twice a week, do that, you know, there's no, uh, everyone's story is different and everyone does it for different reasons. Um, uh, but I think it's just such a positive thing in, in people's lives that I think everyone should give it a go. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Liv. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Fightback podcast. Please give me a like on YouTube, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me, which is heard at the beginning and the end of this episode. Nari wrote this song about Shape Your Life, which is a boxing program for self-identified female survivors of violence in Canada. She wrote this song using the words and experiences shared by participants with Kathy Van Ingen. And you can find out more about Shape Your Life in my interview with Kathy, with Kathy um, in episode eight of the Fightback Podcast. And of course, you can hear more of Nari's work by going to her Instagram at Nari the Saga. See you next time. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless I fear nothing, no complacence Walk to many tight ropes with no hope So I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders You don't need to know my history, I move boulders Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers This goes deeper than empowerment, cause... I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection, I could see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me, they can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin Boundaries, I know them well, take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well, now I get to open gates One, two, one, two, I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing And everything I do, that's me making decisions It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?